Welcome to the Rare Earth Podcast, a place where I bring in rare individuals to have rare conversations. My name is Manoj, your host, and now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Rare Earth Podcast. My guest today is Rahul Kole. He's a speaker, he's a coach, he's a consultant. Uh, he is an electronics and communication engineer by qualification, but he is extremely passionate about storytelling, presentation, and the art of public speaking. His day job currently, he works with Cisco as a customer experience engineer in helping people to professionally upskill. But apart from that, he has done a lot of side gigs. In fact, he is an experienced presenter and public speaking coach, personally trained over 5,000 professionals in the art of public speaking. Uh, this conversation is so much fun because it is a lot of information and breakdown of the art of public speaking. We dive deep into the nuances when you are on stage. We discuss storytelling, we talk about some of the mistakes that we do and what to avoid. We discuss what are some of the things that you can do to really have a great first impression. So this episode is actually loaded with a ton of tactical advice and tips to take your speaking game to a completely new level. So come join with me in this amazing conversation with the one and only Rahul Kole. Okay, Rahul Kole. Yes, okay. Rahul Kole. Welcome to the Rail Show, and uh, this is a podcast which is audio only, so people really will miss out the handsome dude. First of all, commendable job at getting my surname. Very few people do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So nice to know that I got it right. I think I think maybe it's a matter of being a localite. It's it's not actually. It's strange where I come from. It's Kole is a Konkani. I'm a Konkan. First of all, for okay. all the Konkani people out there, hello. Kole in Konkani means fox. Ah, okay. Uh, not like Megan Fox, but like <laughs> the, the the witty fox. Uh, and it's funny how this comes about. It's because it, it's a story. It's a fable that many generations ago, my great grandfather was an influential person in a village. Mm-hmm. And usually these are the people who had a well in their backyard. And a fox one day got trapped in the well. And my great grandfather helped the fox get out of the well, which is and since that day, we've been Kolles. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's seriously the story? That's actually the story. Yeah. Wow, man. That's amazing. Okay. Do you like the name or you have a feeling towards the fox and all that? No, it's a preference simply because my first name doesn't make for good SEO. <laughs> Kole is a rarer name. And since it's, it's on the Rare Earth podcast, I think it's a better name to have. Wow. That, that's a good start to our uh, show. Yeah. I want to start with something very interesting. So you are a, a speaker, you're a coach, you're, you're a consultant, mm-hmm. uh, you work with Cisco, uh, and you also do a lot of other mm-hmm. gigs outside of that. Yes. And uh, we will get into the, the bit of really the art of speaking mm-hmm. and the art of really having a great stage presence and things like right. that. That's your forte. But I want to start with... Uh, one video of yours which i saw on youtube uh-huh. okay and in that video you really explain the science behind infrared cameras okay oh wow okay <laughs> that was a long time ago <laughs> awesome so do, do you recollect that video and you know what you explained then like a lot of the things i studied in engineering no <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, when was that that it was which year I think you were doing. I, I think a, it was my fifth semester, which was twenty seventeen types. Right. And I do remember that was actually a joke. I do remember what I said in the infrared cameras video because I'm a huge cricket fan. Okay. So that's how the inception of the project came to be. When our 
digital signal processing teacher said go and do a project the first thing i thought about was snicko and hotspot in cricket mm-hmm. and because i'm a mad crazy cricket fan that's the only thing i could think about and we got to the bottom of it and got to the digital signal processing part which i don't remember <laughs> i do I, remember I the cricket example i won't go get into that yeah but then I, so that, that was like how many years back then that was about 4 years back 4 yeah. years back what was interesting to see was even then mm-hmm. you were very presentable and mm-hmm. you you were very articulate yeah. so i'm really curious what went into your dna that you have the skill or is it a matter of training is it nurture or nature i think it's a bit of both in fact i was pushed onto the stage at a very early age mm-hmm. when i first set foot on stage i think i was maybe 4 or 5 years old wow and okay. it was a fancy dress competition i had just one line i was dressed as a fisher woman and i had to say machhi le lo machhi khareed lo and i cried on stage okay. that was my first gig but <laughs> jokes aside i've been on stage ever since so even though professionally is i started public speaking and doing gigs and as a professional speaker maybe 4 or 5 years ago mm-hmm. i've been on stage ever since uh, i was a kid okay so, yeah so i think that really paid off well in terms yeah. of how you show up today at, at you know various stages and mm-hmm. it's really good i want to just confess back in my 7th or 8th standard mm-hmm. i was really very fascinated with the idea of ability to speak in front of people and i was really searching for the answers then mm-hmm. and this was i don't know maybe 15 20 years back and uh, there used to be these book sellers on the street where you have get, you get these pirated books yeah so i picked up a book from dale carnegie yeah. okay and on public speaking right. and i thought it was one of the best books i ever stumbled on and it's like filled with gems on, on public speaking so i really do not know whether that translated in, into me becoming a good mm-hmm, speaker mm-hmm. but i think there are some lessons which still i can remember which was instrumental in really building the confidence and things like that so uh, i'm really excited to have you to speak on that very subject i appreciate it thank you so much for having me yeah you are an electronics and uh, communication engineer yep. and uh, so why did you really go on to choose and build something in this space like why didn't you go ahead and just um, take on a very conventional approach to a job and not focus on anything else just the job and a 9 to 5 kind of a thing why are you really passionate about doing something outside of that uh, so i did do that in fact i did take a 9 to 5 approach and pick a job the reason why i'm still holding on dearly to my passion and my hobbies is because it makes me feel alive mm. nothing else makes me feel alive and gets my heart racing as much as public speaking does so when i finished my in fact i was supposed to become a doctor i was all set out to go and become a doctor after my 12th 12th grade i prepared for my cets and my rank didn't turn out to be all that good to get get me into medical school and the other alternative as you all know listeners <laughs> is engineering and i didn't i wouldn't say that engineering was bad i didn't have any particular hatred to it engineering let me experiment with so many different things i cannot tell you mm. give me a perfect platform mm. uh, i also want to give a shout out to my college my alma mater bms college of engineering which gave me all the chances to explore and juggle with the things that i wanted to mm. yeah so uh, becoming a doctor was your dream or something that your parents really were keen on you pursuing my parents did want me to become a doctor at the same time i liked biology mm and i also had in mind that uh, so in 9th and 10th i studied one of these schools where you had an option to pick off beat electives hmm. all my friends went and picked computer science and what school was that this was bethany high school in kormangla itself okay 
and uh, all of my friends went and took economics or computer science most of them took computer science the commerce kids took economics i was one of the 12 students hmm. from the entire batch of 800 students or so who took dramatics and theater <laughs> and it was mostly because um and i'm taking theater because a lot of cute women were taking theater back then <laughs> and i enjoyed being on stage and enjoyed speaking so that made me uh, one of my core subjects is biology so that was the one that i had interest in mm. even in 11th and 12th i took up biology and not computer science so biology was the one science subject that i was good at mm. and because i was good at biology taking medicine was a no brainer sort of an option to me but then when you write your cet exams you also <laughs> need to do well at physics and chemistry which i didn't do so uh, your biology uh passion did not translate into interesting chemistry with the girls later did it no comment <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right so that's how you went on to becoming uh, an engineer mm, yeah okay yeah. okay that also i took electronics communication because computer science wasn't my cup of tea i didn't learn how to code so that's why i took electronics and communication do you still aspire to uh, really pursue something in your line of what you picked up as study interesting work is giving me the chance to do that mm mm-hmm. so i work at cisco for uh, listeners and it is directly related to what i studied in engineering it is communications mm. networks and the internet and 5g and all of that so i do get chance there are lots of upskilling drives and there are certification exams where i get to learn the latest technology and keep up to date with the industry standards all right so that part of my curiosity is taken care of mm. uh, with the job that i'm in currently mm. you you feel you are right on on track with whatever you're doing i mean whatever you studied Yeah, yeah. The common perception is people do engineering and then do all sorts of other stuff not related to engineering. Right. But for me it was directly related to my course of study. Okay, awesome. And uh, so uh, speaking in front of audience, right? It's one of those uh, scariest thing and I do not know whether you relate to that, but most of the people who have no background with any kind of stage experience, if you suddenly mostly uh, people have that experience when they are actually in some kind of gathering, it could be a family mm-hmm. gathering, it could be Uh, you are brand new to an office, and suddenly mm. somebody asks you to, you know, why don't you introduce yourself? And that could be their very first exposure to an audience. So the question that I want to ask you is, when you had that, when you were a little grown up, your very first exposure to an audience of sorts, how mm. was that for you? And could you recollect that experience? I remember this clear as day. I'm glad you asked me this question. It was seventh grade. Okay. First month of high school, and we're all grown up and started to hit puberty. so we cared much more about the other sexes opinions <laughs> and uh, it was generally a, a very difficult time to be in school because you were constantly seeking approval of your tribe your immediate tribe which is not your family anymore in high school your immediate tribe becomes the people you hang out with so getting their approval and validation becomes everything mm. so you start caring about what people think a lot more mm. and it was a pick and speak competition in school we had a literary fest went up on stage i had a chip on my shoulder that i'd been doing this for a while now right. and it did doesn't really phase me but i got one of those oddball topics that i knew nothing about and what was the topic it was an image of a globe with a cone on top <laughs> and it was one supposed to be one of these creative topics that you build a story about mm. and i went blank because what can you say about a globe with a party hat on top of it nothing right, right. now i can say a, a whole bunch of things but back then my w- mind went blank and then i went up on stage and it was just silence i was nervous after a long time right my knee wouldn't stop shaking my hands were shivering 
I grasped the podium because I wanted to regain stability and control. And the podium started shaking <laughs> because I was shivering and was nervous in a really bad way. And it was supposed to be a one minute, 60 seconds is for how long you were supposed to speak. I spoke for 37, 38 seconds and walked off stage. Mm. And I couldn't make eye contact with anyone else for the rest of the day. Mm. It was bad. What was your internal narrative at that point when you were on stage? It's it's funny because... Do you recollect that? Yeah. In fact, I was reading this. I've been reading a lot of Stoic philosophy of late. And one of the lines was that our favorite person in the world is ourselves. We love ourselves the most, yet we worry about everybody else's opinions and not ours. So true. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I wanted to say witty things. I wanted to say funny things. I wanted to come across the way that I had envisioned in my head. Mm. And that is sometimes not possible in public speaking. Sometimes you just got to embrace the uncertainty. And that's what I didn't do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, For many of us, uh, when we have such an experience for the very first time, the pain of embarrassment is so high that we could actually make a very silly decision in our mind or based on that experience that what never again. I I don't want to be in that space ever again. So either you you really get good with your craft or Mm -hmm. you just completely dishonor it and Mm -hmm. say, you know what, I'm never getting back to that situation ever again. So how did you make a positive decision then? Like you could have chosen not to pursue that as something that you want to really get good at it. You could have chosen that as, this is not for me. So I deal with such situations in a very immature way. And I think that's helped me along the way. I'll tell you what this is a little bit more. When something bad happens, let's not say bad. When something happens that I didn't expect in a negative light, I become a very spiteful person and I come back in vengeance. So that day, during that 7th standard high school literary fest, everyone else did well on stage. All my peers did well. Mm. These are people I spoke to every single day. These are people that I hung out with. And... After the event, I got sympathy for not doing well. <laughs> that, that, that's what sparked uh, that flame in me that the next event, I'm going to get all of these people. Mm. So that vengeance is what helped me come back. And I know I know this is not the best way to deal with things. No, I think that's fine. It worked for you, right? It uh, did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that's interesting. So if that had not happened, still you would have gone ahead? Do you, do you think it would be the case or... I haven't thought about it. Maybe I would. Maybe I am quite stubborn sometimes when it comes to things that I care about, things that I'm passionate about. I am very stubborn and I am very shameless. Shamelessness, I use it as a strength, as a skill to have. Mm. If you're shameless and you have a thick skin, you can keep coming back without without that perception that, oh, what will people think this time? Mm. Do I have something to prove? You don't have that feeling. Mm. It lurks at the back of your mind, but it's not big and scary. It's interesting uh, coming from somebody who's as young as you, 24, who were instrumental in encouraging you in your early on life? Feel people who really just give you a pat on the back in the early stages of life, they are really instrumental, even though they may not be the best people, but they just shape us in taking decisions in the, in a positive direction who was instrumental in your life early on you're right when you say that appreciation plays a big role if you're doing great work and you're not being appreciated for it how do you know you right, don't right? right so you need people around you who are creating the atmosphere for you for me it was a perfect environment at home mm. uh, my parents are my biggest cheerleaders my mom is somebody who cheers me irrespective of my performance 
but my dad somebody who is more real more critical and more in fact before i was this passionate about my hobby mm. he was the one who was passionate about it more he loved seeing me go me going up on stage so that perfect atmosphere at home was a blessing aside from this i've had some great english teachers along the way mm. primary school in high school in 11th and 12th yeah i think in 11th and 12th was a changing point there is i want to take a name here my yes. english teacher in my 11th and 12th who i'm still in touch with today i got on a call with her about 3 days back her name is smita chako she was a great believer mm. and when you have these believers by your side you feel like you can go to war with anyone mm. so some of the teachers that i've had along the way and of course my parents who are the biggest cheerleaders that's really a deadly combination i must say because yeah. as we grow up we really look at these two categories specifically mm-hmm. parents as well as our teachers mm-hmm. and uh, getting encouragement from both those groups i think really i think you were really lucky to have that though true and so what was the biggest accelerator for your growth apart from that so obviously you have a very favorable and encouraging setup mm-hmm. but how did you get committed to this craft of yours mm-hmm. okay and how did you accelerate your growth what did you do you know like navel says it do what seems play to you and work to others it seemed like play to me mm-hmm. i was genuinely having a ball when i was up on stage for other people it was hey i need to prove a point today hey i need to do well i need to gain validation but after that initial spurt where i gained that confidence ki ha theek hai i can do a decent job on stage mm-hmm. it was all about it was like a playground to me mm-hmm. i would just go and experiment with a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. sometimes do irresponsible things but <laughs> that's okay it was play to me it still is So that was my biggest accelerator I feel L- that perspective that even if this doesn't go well it's fine it's just a day out in the playground. Mm. So you actually have a ball when you're doing this that's yeah. a, that's the whole uh, perception that you have about your speaking gig. Correct. Awesome. What what is the one thing you were really scared of doing looking back you were really very scared and mm. but you feel that you should have started sooner. I have not felt this strangely. I have not felt that I've had to start sooner because at least for the first half of your life if you're in a, if you're growing up in a tight knit family it's mostly your parents taking shots calling shots for you or the elder ones at home calling shots for you so i didn't feel like i missed any bus early on but uh, there is something that i did deal with i'm still dealing with it which is the fear of missing out which is i think an mm. entire generation is dealing with this fear of missing out it is a real problem right. it's big stares you in the face and tells you that you're not good enough and i think i still am dealing with it yeah mm. what what aspect of fear of missing out uh, you feel you're missing out it's you want to put a price tag on things you do when things get professional mm. when you put a price tag on things when you want to be less busy when you want to do the things that only excite you mm. you feel like hey am i letting go of opportunities because i'm being too pricey am i letting go of that gig because it's paying me 10 15000 less mm. so that that is something that is that translates into fear of missing out and you sort sometimes feel like gigs like these have helped me come this far should i turn my back on those mm. that's something uh, that translates into fomo and, and how are you dealing with it i'm not i am just <laughs> not so uh, i'm just using the blanket principle that um, have an aspiring hourly rate if you're not learning something if you're not having fun or if you're not making the kind of money you want to don't do it mm. but if it's one of these three things then do it 
uh, and this was this lesson was drilled into me by Nikhil Joyce whom I think you might have seen on Twitter Nikhil Joyce was a mentor whom I interned for back in my first year of college mm-hmm. he always says that if you're not having fun or if you're not learning something new or you're not making money don't do it so I've I put that FOMO under a blanket and say justified by saying it's none of these three things that's interesting uh- framework of thinking that's really interesting man and yeah. could you tell a little about your mentor how how was it uh, working or alongside or learning alongside nikhil joyce is a great person to uh, work with still is i would say i learned a lot of things with him uh, from him in the first year of college i interned at his startup called eventosor which has now been sold to matrimony bazaar and a lot of the things that i had a chip on my shoulder for during my college days knowing the nuanced subjects from the startup world which my friends didn't know about or things that i spoke about jargon that i used in conversation and my friends were like oh dude what's that can you explain <laughs> those things gave me a chip on my shoulder and right. those things were a direct consequence of working with nikhil joyce and tejovan tejovan mm-hmm. who got married last week so happy married life tejovan <laughs> tj yeah okay i think the, the time of release of this podcast and this who- <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> may vary but then yeah we'll convey yeah. the yeah Okay uh, so coming to the meat of the discussion mm-hmm. so let's get into public speaking mm-hmm. okay as, as as we discussed this is one of those uh, dreaded experience people have do you think there is any specific age mm-hmm. for people to really get good at this art form like you you had an early start in your life uh, which has really been fantastic mm-hmm. okay and that shows in the following years you just you fell in love with that craft of yours right. you think somebody who has no idea of public speaking Uh, has zero skills in that department you think they can really start now 100% mm. it was november 2020 we ran a 5 day virtual public speaking workshop and we had about 20 participants one of the participants was a mother of two who was in her late 50s Mm. and she's undergoing a coaching certification from you know, international coaching federation and she's somebody who wanted to get over her fear of public speaking and she said that she has perfectly fine english she mm. speaks converses really well there's never an awkward moment with her but when she used to go in front of a crowd she just blank out mm. and she tells me she found the 5 days extremely useful and she's been practicing every day since and apparently she's seen dramatic progress over the last 2 to 3 months mm. so it shows that a step in the right direction is all you need to take to get yourself started and once that happens you see a domino effect one one slab falls over the other and suddenly you see yourself making see yourself making leaps and bounds in progress mm-hmm. that initial spurt it's like going to the gym right when you go to the gym first 6 months you do you have him like incredible progress you have all these muscles that you never knew existed and then the going gets difficult mm. after that first growth spurt is when you think see things slowing down but everyone can take that first big leap mm. and that's possible so age is no bar anybody can make up their mind and really uh, make a beginning in that direction exactly exactly okay. and and one more thing is people english isn't a primary language we weren't born with english we have our mother tongues which are which are very different public speaking doesn't always mean speaking in english you could be a brilliant speaker in your mother tongue right, right. yeah i think that's another myth that people really hold on to thinking that i am really not good at english especially i feel very strongly that we indians have this you know, that if the moment we think we do not know english i mm. think we feel we are completely unskillful what do you think about that 
it's garbage i think you should rubbish <laughs> this thought i want to again tell you a story i don't know if this will make the final cut but i'm going to take a name here his name no actually i'm not going to take a name here <laughs> he was my math teacher in the 12th grade tuitions brilliant teacher got me to love math to this very day i think math is a weak point for me on the first day of tuition class everybody had heard about this person but never really seen him so it was like a legend walking out in front of us this person whom we had heard so many stories about but hadn't really met we were all excited hanging on to every word he was saying and i started in kormangla so kormangla is a fairly cosmopolitan crowd not a lot of people speak kannada i speak kannada fluently and i pride myself for it he came into class and said how many of you don't know kannada hmm. first day of class math class we were all like oh this question's out of place why is he asking us this how many of you don't know kannada please raise your hands and maybe 40% of the class raised their hands and he said get out wow he said get out and i said what how is he asking me what this does this makes no sense and i was revolted by what he said we should be accepting of everyone and then he followed up with hey i'm kidding <laughs> maths artha gelandre no problem nan jokes artha agbeku which means if you don't understand math it's fine you need to understand my jokes oh. he was such a passionate teacher he spoke in a bit of you know english and kannada and even the folks who didn't know kannada got every word he said mm. just because the intent was clear mm. so he's my biggest example of english is no barrier to be a fantastic speaker rahul that was a very interesting tidbit from your yeah. <laughs> college day. i think what a great example people as long as they are really having the conviction in their own subject or the message then language is not a bar- barrier as such right not. yeah Cool. What are some major mistakes when it comes to speaking that you notice with people? Okay. This Many, could be a whole a category, big, but yeah. It's a big list, but one that's been very evident of late because of the virtual world that we've been living in is people presenting. Mm. When speakers present instead of converse, it's a problem. you should talk to people not at them so when you present it's almost as if you're hiding behind your message and saying this is my information take it the way you want to mm. what you should be doing instead is hey uh guess what i have an inf- piece of information for you and i think you'll like it here it is there's a huge difference between the two mm. so people please don't present converse chat with your audience talk to your audience even if it's a formal setting formally if you're presenting your message converse with your audience mm. don't talk at them don't speak at them speak to them mm. that's one mistake okay yeah. any, any anything else which comes to maybe two other this is a frequently used mistake in public speaking it's been well established using filler words mm. I see this in cricket a lot where in the post match ceremony speakers the, the cricketers come and say just completely takes away from the impact of what you want to say from the impact of your information mm. filler words would be another mm. and the third problem would be okay this is an interesting one I was at an event and there was an established speaker from the business fraternity who was supposed to go up and speak and he began by these exact words not going to take names here he began with these exact words please bear with me for the next 15 minutes i didn't po- prepare a presentation today i'm not really prepared but please excuse me and that gives the audience the impression 
that you don't care about them enough to have prepared mm. that they are not important and you are beginning by saying that please bear with me for 15 minutes which means the audience it's con- it's like signaling to the audience that oh, it's time to switch off take off your take out your phones and book that cab back home <laughs> for some reason if you it's a narrative that you have while you go up on stage and that hey guys you know what i'm really not prepared it seems like you're being very transparent but do you think that's being very irresponsible as a presenter yes that's because when you've made your way out on stage you already have the audience's attention mm. so let your message pass across to the audience and let them take the decision whether they want to bear with you mm. or not mm. by explicitly calling it out what you are saying you you are putting out a disclaimer and a caveat that <laughs> your information isn't interesting enough that yeah. you're wasting people's time what you should be instead saying is i have something really interesting for you pay attention mm. you're there you're placed as a speaker on stage because of something that the audience doesn't you have that blessing that gift by virtue of being a speaker there's a hundred people in the audience who want to be a speaker but can't be because something that they don't mm. so don't do injustice to it by going up on stage and saying bear with me because that's as if you're saying that i'm doing this for the sake of doing it right yeah i think that's a very interesting points that you mentioned about the mistakes people do sometimes we walk into an audience and we really do not feel any energy back from them it's like almost like a cold vibe mm-hmm. okay and people com- completely lose track of what they had come prepared with when you really do not get that you know pitch and catch experience mm-hmm. how do we break through a completely cold vibe audience the audience here is not giving you a tough time that's something that you should first understand the audience is waiting to warm up to you mm. there is a deficit of trust when you begin speaking especially if you're the first speaker the audience doesn't know what to expect they're willing with open arms to accept you but it takes time mm. you can't expect them to be on the edge of their seats from the get go mm. right there are some occasions in which the audience is genuinely not interested maybe you're at a speakers convention and the audience is waiting for a celebrity appearance and you're just a filler act mm. before the main act comes on i've been in situations like those where the audience doesn't want to listen to what you want mm. to say that's not your audience right. so stop worrying about what they have to say or what they have to think mm. right if you feel like the audience is not reciprocating do your job as if you're doing delivering your responsibility go ahead do a good job give the few people the few percentage of folks in the audience who may be interested give them a chance to be interested mm. and if you do a good job then they will be but otherwise it's i think it's wrong to expect and constantly expect from the audience mm-hmm. you need to give them something to care about so the audience needs to be the right kind of audience uh, wherein uh, they are very receptive to what you have to offer but you have to introduce the element of interest mm. for them to get hooked 100% it's it's like sales when if you don't want a washing machine i can't sell you a washing <laughs> machine no right. matter how many sales strategies i put in place no matter how many clickbait ads i do 10 seconds you hear me out and you're going to take home this amazing offer not going to work because you just aren't looking for a washing machine right right, right. Uh, on the con- there are a certain f- fringe occasions where you're delivering this extremely interesting topic let's take a topic from my industry you're talking about 5g you're at a speakers convention the entire audience is 
waiting for everything you want to say but you are an expert you are the expert speaker don't expect people to know everything begin from a big picture and funnel the approach so that you give everyone a chance to be on board with what you're saying mm. maybe there is somebody who's who doesn't know about 5g but is waiting for you to change their mind so take them also along mm-hmm. don't leave them behind mm. and stories do a great job at doing this stories always work stories can map obscure concepts together and can make sense to even a child so make use of them great point i think storytelling is something which which is another whole department mm. when it comes to speaking skills or mm. the ability so i i read somewhere that if you can tell a story you can move the world yeah okay and how does one really get good with storytelling and i i struggle with this myself i sometimes feel get to the point like sometimes mm. i may not want to build a story around a concept that i really want to present mm. i think really people have the patience to sit and listen to story why don't you like cut to the chase and give me the meat of the right uh, topic so, sometimes i feel that way but every time i listen to somebody who's actually presenting something with a story i have always walked away with that information staying with me uh, of some sort so i i'm really curious how does one become a good storyteller and is there a way to really hone the skill like how do we really uh, are there some set of stories that you should keep it in your arsenal and keep using them again and again or every time it should be a new set of story how does it work i know i asked you a couple of questions in there i think the point i would like to begin with is that we're all great storytellers we're born storytellers everyone's a fantastic storyteller the way we communicate predominantly is stories mm-hmm. gossip we all love gossip gossip is the best form of stories we love bangalore times because they give us the masala they give us the stories <laughs> behind the scenes and we love it we go on linkedin post about our certifications that's a story we go on instagram post a picture about our vacation that's a story you're telling you're signaling people signaling to people constantly that you're living this good life mm. now this dates back to millions of years ago when we first appeared on the earth face of the earth right where you sat around a fire in the evenings and you maybe i don't know what the language back then was but you told the rest of the folks rest of your tribe how your day was how you went and hunt hunted for this animal and you had a difficult time you're glorifying what happened during the day and that was the form of entertainment back in the day mm. you had meaningful conversations and everyone was capable of doing this everyone is capable of talking about their own lives mm. and everyone has interesting parts to their lives even if they don't believe it like if i tell you now like i'm sure manoj that you've had two or three in- interesting incidents today right today you just have to dig in mm. you just have to introspect and see what those are now I, i would like to quote kevin hart here kevin hart is one of my favorite stand up comedians and he said when somebody asked him how do you build your stand up comedy material he said the reference point for me is my life mm. my family my kids everything that i go through and i will never run out of stories because i'm living every single day absolutely yeah So you are an infinite reserve of stories. There is one thing we struggle with though. Like you said, get to the point, right? Sometimes we struggle with contextual storytelling. What do you mean Con- by that? Context matters. Hmm. If you're talking, let's go back to that speaker convention example, right? If you're talking at a 5G, if you're talking about 5G, everyone wants you to talk about stories related to the topic. Hmm. Not about how you got to that convention center in the morning and how you had difficulties booking a cab. Nobody wants to know that. Hmm. 
So context is everything. If you're in a meeting, if you're in a work meeting, talk about things that are relevant to everyone. Relevance matters. Mm. So context equals relevance equals successful stories. Mm. Without context and relevance, you're shooting stories in the air waiting for people to catch on to them, which will not happen. So how does one develop the skill of storytelling? One thing that's helped me is journaling. Okay. I started journaling right when covid started late march early april i felt like my days were being a blur there were so many interesting things that were happening to me during the day that i was just not capturing and 3 4 months down the line i remember this amazing interest inc- incident that happened so many days ago and i wouldn't remember it in its entirety because we're living such a fast paced life right so now i've successfully journaled for almost a year it's going to be a year in april every night i sit down and write the most interesting things that happened to me during the day the things that i'm grateful for the things that i found to be deeply satisfying and that's a constant reminder that my life is mine mm-hmm. and there are so many things that happen that i can talk about many of my examples in my public speaking workshops come from these 15 minutes that i spend every night Mm. thinking about my day or thinking about that podcast that I saw on YouTube think about the latest Joe Rogan podcast and the amazing things that were said in that podcast yeah that's a, a interesting way to really catalog your life experiences yep. i think i feel when you start with an intention to document it mm-hmm. when you start your day you your mind is trained to look for those experiences which you want to really jot it down maybe it works the other way around to really pay attention to your details of the day could be yeah i think that's a good way of looking at it i've not looked at it that way so far i'll tell you when that has happened i was supposed to um do this 100 days of creation or whatever mm. right you there's 100 days of code there's 100 right. days of creating something right. so for that for those 100 days of creating something i wanted to do i wanted my creatives to be interesting So for that I had to do something interesting <laughs> you had to create yeah. I had to create I had to make something of my from my days and yeah that's how it was engineered yeah. yeah I think it has a dual benefit I I can I can look back and think if I have a 100 day Instagram project of mm. posting one picture a day mm. now I'm really looking with the eye for beauty like yeah. I I want to really capture something which I can really present to the world fantastic example yeah, yeah. so yeah. I think but journaling has a more of a a sense of reflection to your day yeah. i think right yeah true in fact when i go on my runs these days i got a good example when i go on my runs i finish my run and i obviously want to tell everyone how much i've run because <laughs> hey i'm keeping fit and <laughs> yeah so i look for these pretty pictures other which i would otherwise miss pieces of scenery pieces of some plants or the lights on the roads which i wouldn't observe i am now observing because hey i got to post a story <laughs> i right. know it's not the best <laughs> way of dealing with things but like we said earlier it works yeah what are your thoughts about the sense of constantly signaling mm. we are also driven by the idea of really we want to signal to the world that you know what hey we are doing well mm. we are working out we are doing this gig we are doing that mm-hmm. uh, things are like super good in my life mm-hmm. uh, somewhere we have been driven by this idea of signaling and mm. social media really amplifies the whole thing so What do you think about that? I have conflicted opinions on this. We're all putting ourselves in identity baskets today. Mm. Mm. I'm a coach, I'm a speaker, I'm a podcaster, I am an engineer. We want to belong mm. to these tribes. We want to there's this whole concept of personal branding also now where you feel like you got to associate yourself to a tag in order to stand out. 
Now, what that does is it materializes as a lot of signaling. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's doing wonders for your personal brand. But if it's creeping into your mind, that's what I am. These are the tags. This is what I am. Hmm. If it's limiting you in your mind, then I think that's a problem. Hmm. Where it's fine if you love to work out. It's fine. Tell people you're a fit person. But if that creeps into your head and materializes as, oh, I need to work out today because I need to post that story. Mm. And that's mm. a problem. Mm. You become a slave to that whole mm. signaling. Yeah. Right. I, I've had, I've been a victim to this as well. All and, of us are. I think, yeah. it, I think time to time we become victims to that because we get entrapped in that whole rush of being Correct. seen as a successful uh, person or somebody who's doing cool things. Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. And it's a good, rem there's a good reminder that I've really stumbled upon, which is I normally look at my Instagram stories of what my friends have posted mm. at night mm. right before I shut off my internet. And I have that one hour of no internet before I sleep. So before that happens, I just, you know, whisk through my Instagram. Really? You have one hour of no internet before sleeping? Yeah. I try to maintain that. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I normally read for about 20 to 30 minutes before I go to bed. It's normally recently I've been reading meditations by Marcus Aurelius and it's really profound, but it also puts me to sleep. So it's, it's good <laughs> that way. But yeah, getting back to the point, I go through these Instagram stories and just tuck, 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 click by click. And you move on. And then I realized I didn't spend even two seconds on that person's story. Mm. Why do I think my stories are that important? <laughs> wow. I like that perspective. Yeah. So does it matter if I take a pretty picture <laughs> when I go for my evening run? Do people care? Answer is no, they don't. <laughs> right? that, that reminds me of one of your videos that you had put on uh, Instagram about when you go up on, uh, you know, stage and you speak and mm. you think, what would they think about you? Mm. The honest truth is nobody's thinking about you, right? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's thinking about how you are making them feel. And it's a very hard lesson to really grasp. Because mm. we, we, we still think what others think of us. I think it's just, you really, even though this on a theory level that nobody really thinks. Mm. If I ask that question to myself, did I really think of my best friend today? <laughs> Actually, no. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with what I feel for my best friend. But you haven't really paid your attention to that thought of mm. your best friend or, or your family mm. as such. Yeah. Just that when you actually happen to see their photo or their uh, you know name, some memory triggers and you may think of them. But otherwise, people really are not actively thinking about the closest people that they have. So that's interesting. In the Jan of 2020, a whole bunch of new joinees had joined our company. Cisco mm. had spent about a year back, year in the company back mm. then. So they brought me onto a panel to talk about my experience so far. And it was about a 20 to 30 minute segment. I grabbed the mic and I just wanted to make everyone feel comfortable. But it, I ended up pulling everyone's legs. So what happened was there were 200 new joinees. And I said, Look at the person who you're sitting next to today. <laughs> if it's a, pr a good looking guy or a pretty girl, you're doing your best to wear your best clothes to come across as the best version of yourself today. Do you think three months down the line, you will know who that person is? <laughs> One week later, all of you will be assigned to different teams. Right. You will not even be in touch three months later. Why do you care? <laughs> Why do you care about how you're sitting right now? Why do you care about laughing too loudly? Why do you care about snorting when you laugh? Just have a good time. Cut yeah. back, cut loose. 
I, th- I think that will be appreciated after they spend those three months. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I-, I think all of us, when we are in a new space, mm. we really want to hold on and grab onto the person right next to us because yeah. that's the only person we know of. And uh, yeah, it fades away. But you gave the truth right in the <laughs> opening day. Opening, yeah. And then that translated as awkward giggles throughout the audience. And I was like, oh, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So coming back to speaking, mm. uh, do you have a framework uh, of a speaking gig? Like when you go on stage, uh, do you operate from a specific framework? Like the opening has to be this way, the meat of the subject and the closing. And so do you have a mental framework or it is always spontaneously changing? I generally have a framework in mind. You do? Okay. Yeah. So suppose I set off from here to your place, which is Hebal. I check the Google Maps before setting off and then I have it on Bluetooth and it's telling me where to go. But I do check the maps once before setting off. Mm. I generally want to know which direction I'm going in. That's the same that applies to speaking as well. Mm. I generally know which direction I'm supposed to go in, what's expected of me, what I'm supposed to cover. And I use inversion theory that Charlie Munger has popularized over the years, which is what is the one thing that I must not miss out? Like, mm. I, I, this, I need to avoid this at all costs. Mm. Mm. These are the three big mistakes I need to avoid these at all costs. I have those reminders constantly. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't mess up somebody's introduction. Don't mispronounce someone's <laughs> name. Don't forget to thank somebody. Otherwise, that will lead to bad blood later. These are things that I stay away from. So, I, unless you're prepared before the gig, unless you have that mental model of preparation, you're just taking situations as they come and you're being reactive and not proactive did you learn those three lessons that you just mentioned the hard way or was it i <laughs> i did have them as reminders and then i made those mistakes anyway <laughs> i yeah i've been yeah i've mispronounced people's names a lot of times Mm. Uh, that's something that's not fun <laughs> on stage especially not fun when the speaker comes on and then corrects me <laughs> so yeah that that's something that i avoid at all costs now i think it helps to ask people how to pronounce their name mm. in advance mm. it's like an insurance in case you mess up their name right, right in the future right. because you're calling out like hey manoj how do i how do you want me to address you mm-hmm. right that goes a long way and also, uh, my experience is if you are the speaker for an event and mm. there is somebody who's introducing you, mm-hmm. if they really do a poor job of introducing you, then you really have to fight hard to gain back the trust of the audience. Is that true? Observation? Or it doesn't matter if the speaker is awesome, anyway, speaker will shine regardless of the intro which has been done for the speaker. If it's an elite crowd, it doesn't matter. Mm. But if it's an audience that is highly impressionable, especially the younger crowd, younger folk, mm say going to a college cultural festival and this happened several times where i've been invited as a judge to a college cultural festival and somebody butchers my introduction not so much my introduction as my name like mm. i told you right you got my name and does puts up a very timid and lukewarm performance mm-hmm. then the audience just switches off mm. they have no anticipation mm. you have so much of energy when you get 1000 people in an auditorium and then a not so great introduction just temporarily suppresses that energy. Mm. It's not ideal, but it's also not a deal breaker. Right. Yeah. Uh, you had a chance to uh, introduce speaker uh, on a TEDx platform. Yeah. So how did you feel? Obviously, it's a it's an honor to do that act. But what was the degree of pressure internally you were feeling, or were you excited, or you, or did you feel very stressed out? What What was your experience then? We had a dry run the day before. I've I've hosted three TEDx events so far. 
two of them i was directly a part of because i was also curating the event i was curating the speakers performances so i was involved in the back end as well so mm-hmm. there was no pressure because i knew them all very well i had personally booked flight tickets for some people so i knew them at that level but there was one tedx performance which was the most recent one mm-hmm. i had this at st john's medical college a prestigious tedx event and we had a dry run the previous night and ha- i had dinner with all the speakers but one mm. apart from one mm. apart from one i had a dry run with all of the other speakers got to know them on a personal level chit chatted with them so there was no nervous energy there but the one person that i didn't meet i ended up uh, mispronouncing her name <laughs> i wasn't ready for it i mispronounced her name and then she corrected me on stage oh god okay <laughs> yeah Oh that's difficult man. That's so, difficult yeah. Mm-hmm. But you got to play it off. You can't really mm-hmm. show on stage that mm-hmm. oh you've taken oh sh- oops you can't right. show it as a slip up. You mm-hmm. just got to play it off yeah. Do, do you wish to be a TEDx speaker someday? I ha- I have got a couple of opportunities one op- opportunity actually one of them was me reaching out but uh, <laughs> you know when I when I think back in retrospect I'm glad I turned down the one opportunity and I didn't get the other gig because like I said I'm 24. Mm. I don't know what I'll be talking about 5 years later. Mm. On a platform like TEDx, you go ahead and give this stellar performance. You're linked back to that forever and that's something that I don't want to do at this stage. Mm. Because I genuinely don't know what I'll be talking about when I'm 27, 28. Mm. And I know I will be talking for the rest of my <laughs> life because I am a chatty person. <laughs> and think about something like design thinking is something that i'm i've become very passionate about off late okay what is design thinking design thinking is a framework of it's a mental model like it's a way of thinking it's a way of approaching problems and being critical with the way you solve those problems it's a framework for solving business problems basically right creative artful out of the box way of dealing with them mm. i've become a design thinking facilitator in the last one year discovered this wonderful approach that I didn't know about mm. and now I'm hooked what if I'm talking about something entirely new when I'm 28 mm. people will still recognize me for what I've said now because it's associated to such a prestigious platform and I, I don't think that's or you may get invited for a second round for <laughs> <laughs> updated conversation uh, yeah <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm not sure about that maybe it's a pipe dream yeah um what do you what is the role of a pace of speaking when you're presenting mm. so it, it, sometimes people speak fast sometimes people really speak slow what seems to be the i, I don't think there's like a one size fits all answer to this uh, what i'm trying to ask you is many of us end up speaking fast mm. okay and then i i have read that you have to learn to slow down but the risk that you anticipate as a speaker when you're speaking slow is you do not know are you sounding or are you making sense are are you too slow because in your mind time is completely at a standstill while you while you are when the spotlight is on you so what's your recommendation with respect to the pace mm. both mm. always speak fast and slow mm. use change in pace to be able to change the flow of energy in the audience's minds if i'm slowly talking to you right now you're anticipating something that's going to come up next and then suddenly there's a boom and then i reveal the secret and then we're all having a great time again. right right so that slow down and pace and that sudden surge in energy again translates into the theatrical effects in the audience that really 
takes your information along when should someone slow down when you are approaching maybe a punchline atal bihari vajpay used to do this brilliantly he was he was, <laughs> he was used to slow down right to the slowest speed one could speak and then he used to pause for 10 good seconds no pause is long <laughs> enough for him and then the general assumption is when somebody uses silence in their speech people shut off mm. but that's it's actually the opposite mm. whenever vajpayee slowed down and paused my parents would increase the <laughs> the volume of the tv because they were hanging on to every single word he said mm. next mm. so yeah slow down before you want to say something emphatic and when do you speed up when you want to cause a sudden rush in energy in the audience and want to get them excited what would be a good example what i just did <laughs> i slowed down and i said i'm going to tell you something i'm going to tell you a secret don't tell anyone what this guy when did that <laughs> right so that flow of energy is fascinating to mm. me and this is something again uh, people have to cultivate with practice in case if they are not a seasoned speaker mm-hmm. right yeah yeah it's like playing an instrument mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. you play the keyboard you start off as a youngster and you're playing really slow you're getting every note and then you become better and eventually you get faster and faster and then you reach you reach you reach what you feel like the is the final step and you're playing really fast and you're having a good time and you're flexing to others and saying look how fast i'm playing the keyboard then you look at the maestros have a combination of delicate touch mm. slow notes and fast notes it's yeah. all magical yeah it's, it's, it's a combination complete uh, sync yeah, yeah. now uh, we uh, have come to a time where uh, the tools of communications have changed mm. especially with, with with the new way the new normals so when you talk about video calls like zoom teams it makes communication tougher mm. okay earlier you had a you know in person communication you ha- you can really gauge by the body language Correct. okay now it's become extremely tough so the best communications which used to have or, or the people who have really good communication skills they have a greater advantage with uh, you know the current setup as compared to somebody who does, is not a communicator at all if you are a communicator you have good communication skill you really can shine in this time because you already have those skill sets the current setup also hasn't been fair to people who are introverts and who generally aren't great at communicating mm-hmm. the current setup has made it the virtual setup has made it harder for introverts to communicate mm. first of all if your meetings can be emails then please do that don't have one hour long meetings <laughs> don't torture people with don't, that <laughs> yeah don't torture people for meetings in fact i'm associated with the lnd team learning and development team at cisco and we design creative modules and train tech leads managers and we recently had a session where we were talking to a bunch of tech leads about how to be more engaging with their teams mm. the current setup is the same as the setup we had in office we booked a boardroom we went inside we had the, those conversations that exact same template we have lifted it mm. and pasted it in our virtual setup mm. doing tremendous injustice to people who are not good at communicating in virtual meetings we see there is so much awkward silence we have to call on people we have to say are you there please unmute yourself there is so much awkward energy the setup is just not built and ready for people in the virtual scenario do you have a host for the meetings no do you have somebody who's taking minutes of the meetings designated person taking minutes of the meetings no 
do you have somebody who's running through the slides one designated person sharing their screen and running through the slides no it's all very ad hoc right. the way it would be in a regular meeting mm. the structure just falls through it's like a deck of cards that just falls through people are just not ready to have productive conversations when it's all ha- ad hoc mm-hmm. you're constantly being reactive so have a structure put a structure in place that will immediately fix the quality of your virtual meetings mm. have a host have a designated person to take minutes of the meetings have a person who is going to be delivering one person who is going to be delivering the presentations every week and then everyone else use the meeting as a sounding board to chalk out and iron out ideas mm-hmm. Yeah true I think uh, there is no thought given to the meeting in advance there is no planning which is involved and people just show up just if they're showing up into a conference room exactly. and they're trying to figure out and they go with the assumption that it's all going to work out true and then there is a lot of chaos in yeah. understanding who's doing what uh, does first impression still matter when you're actually imagine let's not take a situation where it is only corporate let's say if you are a presenter and then there's an audience on the other side this could be anybody who's a freelancer somebody who is uh, pitching for a sales so first impressions in a virtual world oh no now we do not have a handshake right now now mm. it is like uh, how's your zoom setup mm. or what's your background like so does it still matter first impressions in a in a video call i think so i i think it does definitely matter professionalism is conveyed by the kind of setup you have by the first statements you utter by how calm and composed you are that immediately forms an impression in the mind of the listener and especially in the virtual world perception is everything you're not really meeting people so you're just going off of perceptions what can one do to really have a great first impression in a video setup i'm glad you said video setup because people tend to switch off their videos mm-hmm. people tend to not people tend to loaf on virtual meetings a lot of your body language is conveyed through video a lot of your communication happens through your body language if you eliminate video you're just guessing you're just confidently guessing what the other person means based off of the tone of their voice based off of their the choice of words so what you're technically saying is you're so confident in your team's ability to communicate words <laughs> that you're okay not looking at them So I I think first of all good you mentioned video meetings have your video on have maybe a clear background mm. don't look down or look up at the camera have the camera at a steady angle looking straight at your face and use the latest gen technologies like noise cancellation let's not have dogs barking in the background or the cooker whistle going <laughs> off in your homes Um, use all of the technology at your disposal virtual backgrounds noise cancellation mute when you are not speaking all of those there's now a whole set of uh, virtual meeting etiquettes that you need to follow there's many blog posts on these on linkedin on on medium.com i could link those in the show in, notes in, yeah. in the show notes but there are these etiquettes virtual meeting etiquettes that you need to follow and that will build a good first impression i i think some great points uh, because people still think Sometimes it's so funny that people haven't even cleaned the lens of their hmm. uh, you know yeah. cameras yeah. and you you think when you look at the person it seems like they're speaking from the cloud it's like very foggy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think yeah very basic hardware upgrades and do whatever it takes because it is uh, it's a new way where you it's your new workspace True. so might as well invest in it properly and uh, do it a good webcam costs you 1500 bucks can you not invest <laughs> 1500 bucks to look better on camera so i i think 
put in the money there i think you wouldn't bat an eyelid if you were spending 1500 bucks on a bottle of whiskey mm. uh, or on a movie <laughs> or on a movie <laughs> or go out for you know starbucks coffee like four or five times a month absolutely so we invest in a webcam invest in a mic i love the setup you have here i, I, I wish to emulate <laughs> the setup in the future <laughs> thank you yeah. thank you buddy when i was checking some of your past videos there was one video i think this was in the beginning of the uh, lockdown period i think you posted something which was very interesting and i think very relevant you were speaking we do not have an audience anymore mm. really it's it's not like you have a toastmasters club that you can really go and practice your ability to do public speaking you do not have a like community because now it's all people have been encouraged not to really socialize as much mm. and you said we have a tool in our hand which can really hone our skills of getting good at speaking could you elaborate on that point please yeah in fact it was a conversation that um i had with someone who's also an employee not from the company that i work for but he said why do i need public speaking now mm we're all at home <laughs> we're all not going to talk in front of big audiences i don't need public speaking now uh, and that person was a manager so i explained to him patiently that if you're a manager and you're leading a team of so many people you need public speaking more than ever before to make up for lack of physical presence mm. right how do we practice it now i think virtual toastmasters clubs have begun again oh, really? lots of toastmasters clubs okay. that have taken their entire setup virtually they do it on zoom and not sure how effective it is because i haven't been a part of any of those so i don't want to pass any loose comments here but i think the easiest way would be to use your phone camera mm. the thing we struggle with most is being put in a spot when the spotlight falls on us we immediately feel like now it's an ancient psychological thing where your neanderthal brain which is sitting below your you know latest software firmware <laughs> upgrades over the you know course of evolution your neanderthal old brain still feels that whenever the spotlights on you it's equivalent to being set apart from your pack mm. we are pack animals we exist in social tribes, settings yeah, in tribes. social settings mm. so when we are set when we are cast aside from a social setting we feel like we're being attacked mm. and hence the heart rate goes up and we feel all of these nerves right a front camera of a of your phone emulates that spotlight mm. so when you're when you feel like okay i need to send this video to 10 people you want to get it right 10 people are going to watch it and cast opinions on you so you want to do a good job in a rudimentary sense in a basic sense that front camera is emulating the setup of mm. the spotlight mm. so use it talk into your front camera the best way to get better at public speaking in this virtual time would be to find five people you trust mm. with their judgments with their opinions whom you don't mind getting bashed from mm. create a whatsapp group or signal if you're on signal now <laughs> and uh, tell them that for the next one month every day you're going to send them a 2 minute video you want all of them to watch that video and tell you if they like it or not and what they liked and what they didn't like mm. on the 30th day you'll find yourself at ease talking to your front camera mm. and at ease talking in your team meetings because you've already been practicing in front of your front camera i think it's such a brilliant you know suggestion and tip uh, which people i, I feel more frequently we have been part of these zoom meetings and video calls we got comfortable right now. Yeah. now now there is a sense of really how to communicate people have learned but if this very exercise is done over a period of 30 days i think mm. you could be a master true like you could be a pro by that very true i think that's a great tip because every 
one week you may realize oh i've been doing this wrong i need to change this about me yeah you get feedback yeah and those five friends that you mentioned if they become too critical what what should we do yeah, find yeah. a new set of five friends <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just joking i'm just joking like on the onset know that these are five people whom you can trust with their mm. judgments mm. and if you have toxic friends then you'll have to see someone as not a public speaking coach yeah there, there is a very uh, interesting symbol that rahul showed in the video which mm-hmm. you can see uh, mm-hmm. when you have friends you really want to not appreciate much you showed a very interesting <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> go back and watch that video i flipped a finger at people who critically you know badger you for no reason yes yeah th- those are the disadvantages of a audio podcast you yeah. got to deal with the audio and <laughs> story narration yeah yeah all right w- when you walk into a room full of strangers mm-hmm. okay you really have to be and i'm i'm talking in the context of if you are a speaker and a presenter that that's mm-hmm. been the focus of the topic right uh, how do you really break ice and how do you really network with them uh, mm-hmm. so, sometimes you got to network with them ahead of mm-hmm. the session starting mm-hmm. sometimes you got to do it on the job where you're on, on on the spotlight right how do you network with them how do you break the ice i i see there to be three ways that i thought of while you were asking me this question the first way would be if you're if it's a peer setting if it's like a social construct you're meeting people your own age or people who are same league greet people with animation and energy over the top energy right. like just because go out to people and say hey how's it been dude it's been this a long time man this bump cuz covid you know <laughs> so when you do that the other person feels like, oh this guy is actually happy to see me it's a bit over the top but that's okay let me give him back the same kind of energy and love that's number one number two would be if you don't know people if you're in a strange sort of environment if it's not people whom you've met before total strangers genuinely smile and be a pleasant person greet everyone with warmth mm. heartwarming smile goes a long way so just smile more mm. that's the num- the second one and the third one is is the more important is the game changing one it's one that i've used several times before if i want someone's attention i will talk about them not about me so go up to people if you're networking and genuinely be interested in their story because if you ask someone if if suppose i meet manoj at a social gathering at a cocktail party i walk up to manoj and i say manoj i've been watching all of your listening to all of your podcasts it's amazing how do you get these guests on you've got such a cool list of people i want to listen to i'm trying to build something like this on my own oh how do you get these people to agree to come on the podcast with you so suddenly yeah, i'm talking about you and you feel like oh yeah so i'm i'm going to tell you <laughs> listen to me but instead if i walked up to you and i said So I've been doing all of these events off late. Can you tell me how you do these XYZ things? I started with me. Right. Suddenly you're not that interested mm. in what I have to say anymore. Mm. So genuinely be interested in other people. Show them that you're looking to learn. Ask them for help. When you ask people for help at no real expense of theirs, mm. they feel like they're doing you a favor. Mm. And that makes them feel more powerful. Mm. so they immediately put drop their guard and do all these nice things for you that you didn't expect amazing i think those three points were golden i think man that i think the fact that you got to really up your energy mm-hmm. with enth- enthusiasm and really smile mm-hmm. genuinely smile and take interest in talking to people yep. w- w- in them actually so yep. i think that could be that will solve that problem of <laughs> breaking like there was one more question that i had which i think but you covered it mm-hmm. which is sometimes we are in a conversation or a situation where we feel we are talking to a group of people who are like way 
above our league mm. okay you, you feel like these guys are way smarter than me man so how do you blend in in that kind of a setup or should you just leave the place i've struggled with this but i feel like i've found a, a trick or a hack so when we do these design thinking sessions it's at work especially these are four hour long sessions where we're facilitating the entire workshop for people 10 15 years older than i am there's usually multiple trainers on the session but there's usually people who are directors who are senior managers or senior directors vice presidents on the call and they know so much more than you right, like right. you know nothing in comparison <laughs> to them you're a you're a drop in the ocean and they are the ocean you feel like <laughs> when you start that session but what is the one thing that can get people to drop their guard is make them vulnerable how do you make them vulnerable in design thinking sessions we ask them to do these silly childlike tasks one such task is we have this segment called ideation segment mm. where we just brainstorm and come up with ideas general perception would be if you're a senior manager on the session you you're thinking this guy is somebody who joined 2 years back what can he get me to do what value can he add but suddenly if you put the spotlight on him mm. take that spotlight away from you mm. and put that spotlight on the attendee and say All right uh so take a piece of paper and I'm going to count to 60 we're going to do a timer till 60 seconds using just three shapes triangles rectangles and circles draw all the images that come to mind and suddenly they're like oh <laughs> what just happened oh, you're asking me to do these things okay okay 60 seconds pressure so suddenly they're vulnerable mm-hmm. not only are you getting them to open up you're also letting them know that there are certain things that they're not ready for mm. so they drop that high hat of theirs and they get ready to be more open and have that conversation mm-hmm. yeah wow so this is what has happened in some of these setups where people have just completely let go of their guard yeah, yeah that's interesting okay yeah. in, in fact the end result normally our end result of the session ends with a prototype phase so mm. design thinking is a four part segment you start with empathy when there's a problem you understand the stakeholders problems so you empathize with them after empathizing with their problems you define their problem statement you ideate you brainstorm with them for possible solutions you remove the duplicate ideas and just filter down all the ideas that you want and then finally you prototype them and test them mm-hmm. that's what design thinking is in a nutshell so in the prototype phase we would normally make a wireframe or we would make working model we would put in a business process flow in place but these are all things that leaders are comfortable with so what did we do instead we asked them to build a children's story explaining the solution to the problem mm. and these senior leaders senior managers came up with a spin off of frozen like the, the children's the, story the frozen movie, yeah, the yeah, movie yeah. frozen yeah. and they used characters from frozen to explain the solution to their problem and they had more fun than i could have imagined because they were vulnerable mm-hmm. right. and it works all the time Uh, it most works of the most of the times yeah it also depends on how you're facilitating it and how, what sort of mood and mental state they're in so yeah it works most of the time and it could depend on that one person with that crossed arm and yeah there's always that <laughs> sniper in the audience who's just starting shots at you <laughs> so got to be careful of those so uh, rahul what are some of the notable difference between a amateur and a pro when it comes to public speaking skills you can instantly spot somebody who is not a pro and somebody who is a pro what what differentiates them grace would be one thing where they're easy on the eye <laughs> take cricket for example right what's the difference between somebody 
who's a who's a debutant and somebody stick stick prithvi shaw for example the recent test match i'm not a cricket fan okay so I'll, yeah i'll, 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 I'll go you, with I'll that give, though i'll give you two examples right? <laughs> my audience maybe but i am not so <laughs> so take a debutant and a season player a season player like rohit sharma mm. he's not under pressure he is okay with failing that match he has that immense reservoir of self belief that a slump in form is in the end and he's just having fun out there he's just even virender sevag used to sing while he used to play and his body is relaxed his shoulders are easy mm. not stiff mm. these same traits apply to public speaking or any other field even for example mm. where you don't have that constant look of worry on your face where you're anticipating the audience's response a seasoned speaker does not anticipate the audience's response they're just having a good time and they're in that trance sort of scenario i i often look at led zeppelin videos on youtube their mm. um, videos and all of them they might be intoxicated when they were performing <laughs> but they're in a they're lost in a state of trance mm. they don't know they're performing they're just at one with their instrument mm. they are not looking at the audience and saying are you having a good are you having a good time a clap for me no that's not happening mm. there may be phases where they go out and engage with the audience but normally when they're wrong they're just lost mm. they are in, in their own zone they're yeah. in their own zone you mm. cannot bring them back mm mm-hmm. it's a similar it's a similar feeling with public speaking there are often times when i've been on stage when i've seen speak in fact i was speaking to a friend of mine who's also a speaker and they said something on stage which caught my eye and then i was supposed to go on and speak next i spoke next we finished the event we went off to grab some coffee and i was like you said that one thing and it caught my eye uh, so where did you read that it's like bro i can't tell you it was something i've never read before it just came to me on stage it just came to me on stage and mm. i know he's not lying because those things have happened to me mm. you just have these moments of these sparks on stage and you just say things that you wouldn't have otherwise said <laughs> and it sounds beautiful you now you if you see if you watch football where did messi take that goal from was he conscious was he aware was he 100% sure that that ball would curve that way no sometimes it's just instinct mm. and that's the mark of a great speaker when they're lost when they're not there mm. when they're performing they're not there and you can tell you can genuinely tell going by that grace beautiful i think also when you ask them how did you say that mm. precisely they wouldn't even know how they just it's, it's that moment when it happened mm. i think yeah that's a great differentiation between a pro and anything else that comes to mind when you think of that but this is great i think this really covers that so anything else that comes to mind okay let me see okay we've covered this before but the art of talking to an audience mm-hmm. rather than talking at them mm-hmm. i've seen speakers go up on stage in front of a thousand people in the audience right a thousand people is an all different game it's a different game altogether things can go wrong in a fraction of a second mm-hmm. so you're it's like tight rope walking mm-hmm. right a small slip up and you've lost balance and you fall a seasoned speaker will go up on stage and will casually talk to an audience as if he's chatting with a friend mm-hmm. You see a thousand people that doesn't deter the person. No. Oh. You're conversing with them. You're seeing a thousand people as one. Right. You're having a chat with a friend, with an old friend. Take Russell Peters for example, mm. who's a stand-up comedian who right. watched over the years. He is genuinely saying the harshest <laughs> things possible to the audience, making fun of them, 
sometimes even racially profiling them but the audience is laughing along because the audience feels like hey i'm his friend he's having a conversation they feel a sense of connect with there him there is that unbreakable sense <laughs> of connect and everyone's even if it's a one and a half hour show everyone's hanging on to each and every word mm-hmm. that that sort of trust is built up over that one and a half hour segment mm-hmm. so that's one more trait and hallmark of a great speaker yeah great point i think yeah people feel privileged that mm. they've been <laughs> addressed that way and pros really can make you make a joke at you and still get away with it yeah. w- with grace yeah i think that's something amazing that's also a hallmark of a great stand up comedian mm-hmm. where they'll say some of the darkest stuff yes, i i am somebody who occasionally enjoys dark comedy and they say some really horrible things mm. that you would not dare to say outside in society but you laugh it off <laughs> because the intent was clear whom do you like in in the indian comedy scene in the indian comedy scene okay this is interesting i like i like biswa Mm. is good hindi stand up comedy mm. he had this recent course on front row where you he teaches people how to do stand up comedy i enrolled for that course although i haven't completed it hooked through and through great stand up comedian i like kanan gill in english stand up comedy because i feel he is smart and clever mm-hmm. and i appreciate that in stand up comedian not just slapstick humor i like kenny sebastian in terms of relevance I think Kenny Sebastian is more relevant than he is funny mm. and it shows that relevance can sometimes make an audience a fan. Mm. Those guys are ba- Bangalore based I think no? I all Bangalore all, boys yeah. uh, apart from Biswa of course. Biswa is from Orissa. Yeah. So who are some of the speakers that you really you know have learned most mm. from? Yeah. You really look up to you like these are the speakers man. This is an overused example of course but Barack Obama Mm. talk show presidential debate press conference mm. he is so at ease every damn place absolutely yeah and if he goes on if if it's a press conference every word he says is correct word right time if it's if it's a presidential debate he's aggressive at the same time not obnoxious and not obscene mm. not like the trump and hillary debate <laughs> not like the trump and biden debate it was elegant mm. when he's on a talk show when he's on ellen's show he's just exuding coolness the cool quotient is so high right he's embracing the fact that he likes dad jokes he's embracing <laughs> everything all of his natural traits so i think that's the biggest lesson i've learned from barack obama is that first understand who you are and embrace that through and through mm. if you have flaws embrace those as well celebrate it almost celebrate yeah. it right yeah That's a great example. Wow. Anybody else? I like Simon Sinek. Mm. He's a powerful speaker, man. Very He's, powerful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So much energy and so much passion. Right. You can see that passion coming through to you from your laptop or computer screen. Right. That's somebody I generally like. One more speaker that I like is Shashi Tharoor in the way that he so eloquent. I love his I may not agree with all of his ideas, but I love the way he speaks and I'm a fan of the way he uses the language of English. Mm. Speaking about language, uh so we will touch a little on words. Mm-hmm. Okay, so words when used properly mm-hmm. really create uh, unimaginable power mm-hmm. and influence with with the people that you're addressing. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can we really build the ability to craft beautiful words in our speeches, in our presentations, in our talks? How do we really hone that? 
I remember you asking me a question earlier, which was, "What do you fear? Like, what is something you wished you started earlier?" Mm. I f- I wish I started reading as much as I am now earlier, and I think reading is a great way to build a an armory of unbreakable, unshakable words. Mm. Although reading is a great way, not everyone may enjoy it. Not everyone may embrace it. I started reading a lot off late in the last four or five years, maybe, but not so much before. But my source of great words mm. is conversations mm. videos people whom i have chats with when i go out and talk to a friend and they say that i i intuitively hang on to words that i don't know mm. i go back home google them and make them in my own context in my own way of saying things yeah and so reading is a great resource to really build that arsenal Definitely. of words okay? Definitely. okay yeah. and videos and yeah other audio formats right if 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 you're somebody who's struggling with the english language i would suggest watch sitcoms mm. you're having a good time as well as picking up some of the colloquial words that you could use in conversations right i think the magic there is as you are enjoying this whole process uh, as you said about the stage experience mm. you end up using these words unconsciously yes it just suddenly comes from nowhere right yes and then because it is working on your psyche at some level or on your subconscious the last word i picked up was the word hacknight is an alternative for badgered or overused ah oh. i was wondering where did i pick up hacknight from i haven't i've not read anything i've not watched anything on video but i was talking to this one friend on my whatsapp call and she kept saying hacknight hacknight hack. <laughs> i was like oh that's where i picked it up from <laughs> sometimes you don't even realize where you picked it up from and that's what sitcoms could also do you're right. having a good time as well as learning yeah and you end up picking up phrases also sometimes yeah. those kind of words which a friend constantly mm. uses you mm. end up having the same effect on yeah so if you have friends who constantly say macha machi you will also <laughs> end up saying macha machi that's it obviously just making a joke there by the way uh, for my international audience what does macha and machi mean so uh, macha is bro in a literal sense macha is brother in law okay <laughs> it's like saying yeah it's like saying sale in hindi for right. the north indian audience but macha could be used as bro here in bangalore yeah and that's a sign of you you feeling very comfortable with the absolute the, the yeah. person okay have you had uh, imposter syndrome Mm-hmm. Okay and if yes how did you deal with it and also could you explain what is a imposter syndrome uh, imposter syndrome is where you feel like you you are being perceived to be an expert but you don't think you are mm. you feel like you're having to live up to that image that's been already built of you right so that's imposter syndrome and many of us deal with it especially creators these days deal with it a lot because sometimes you put out work there as as something you enjoy doing and suddenly it blows up and people are looking up at you mm. and saying that you are an expert in this domain you didn't ask for that expert tag but suddenly here you are where people are now weighing every word you are saying and sometimes you say something wrong and people are like how could you being an expert say something so irresponsible and internally you also do not feel you are eligible to be called that title so you're... you like it yeah, but at like the same it. time you feel like somewhere you don't deserve it yeah you're, you're a fake somewhere yeah, inside yeah right? if you feel like a quack you feel like one of those scam artists a charlatan but uh, earlier we spoke about where we feel inadequate with senior folks mm. with people who are so much more experienced than us senior right. directors or vice presidents at a company that's what i dealt with it in 2020 and 2019 where i was doing sessions for managers and senior managers and I, the certain feeling crept in that do i am i really worth my metal mm. 
are these people really do they have something to learn from me really they're so much more senior than i am but then the reminder that whatever isn't public information that helps hmm if i know 10 things 10 different may people may know one one thing each mm-hmm. but not a single person knows all those 10 things that i know so if you're talking to you if you're conversing to someone who is much more senior than you and you feel your imposter syndrome kicking in at full flow remind yourself that they may know one or two things that you already know mm-hmm. but there are eight different things that you can add mm-hmm. that only you are privy to information that only you are privy to so this reminder helps mm. also i'm somebody like i said i've i've been shameless before <laughs> i i am mm-hmm. shameless and i have an immense sense of self belief so i don't deal with imposter syndrome i don't struggle with it as much but when i do these reminders help great point yeah i think okay i have few more questions and then we'll be done with the session awesome what is something that very few people are talking about right now mm-hmm. but everyone will be speaking about it maybe one year from now i was it's a deviation from yeah, my current yeah. topic yeah. but i think having an emergency fund i attended a <laughs> session recently where neeraj dugar is somebody who goes by contrarian living on twitter who conducted him and abhishek agarwal who is a venture capitalist for startups conducted a session on emergency funds it was moderated by nikhil joyce and they spoke about how especially in 2020 during the covid times where people were unemployed yeah the heightened sense of the emergency fund requirement came into the picture mm. and it will come into the f- picture again in future as we move more and more into the gig economy mm. where you're moving away from traditional jobs and moving into more creative fields you need to have a dam or a reservoir that you can bank on and that's having an emergency fund people will talk about this more i feel wow what a great point man i think very legit observation i think people first hand experienced the need to have some kind of a reserve when they really hit uh, the dead end point mm. that's a great point what's the best compliment that you have received from somebody that i'm pretty no i'm not kidding <laughs> uh, that's, that's not true the best compliment i've received from someone is that i'm a i'm a good judge of character mm. that i have good people skills and that i am better at dealing with nagging issues than the average person mm. that's the best compliment i feel like i've received and that's when my imposter syndrome also kicked in i feel like that's <laughs> not me <laughs> but uh, i think that's the best compliment i've got so far and to an extent i feel like that is justified because as a speaker you get to look at new audiences every single day and you generally know what intentions the listener has in mind interesting okay who do you trust and really depend on for important life decisions my dad yeah okay yeah he's he's one such person who is brings me back on track gives me constant reality checks that's one person for sure yeah okay and uh, how does he do that and that's a very interesting because people uh, like when i ask this kind of question i generally it's someone outside of the family so it's interesting to hear that you look up to him for uh, sound judgment why is that it's because i've had countless number of incidents where he told me something <laughs> I went ahead and ignored his judgment anyway fell down came mm. back and said you were right and he still reminds me to this day and it, he'll come to me and tell me something that I'm totally uncomfortable with he'll come and tell me a, give me a bitter pill and I'm like no that's not true that can't be true and 
now it's become a habit where he says 10 days <laughs> i give you 10 days you will come back <laughs> so it's happened enough number of times for me to know better uh, could you tell us a little about your dad so he is 51 years of age right he's been a serial entrepreneur all his life he is a civil engineer by profession at the same time he's somebody whom i've imbibed a lot of values my my love towards philosophy mm. and human nature personality comes from him he's an incredibly real person he's a realist he's rationally optimistic but he's also somebody who comes with his um, share of skepticism at times mm. he has provided me a lot of balance in my life mm. whenever i get too carried away brings me, brings me back on track mm. so that's a bit about my father and there's a fun fun fact he was the person who pushed me on stage to become a speaker when i was a kid but after i became a professional speaker he has not and he still refuses to attend any of my gigs really he has not <laughs> watched me perform since the time i was maybe 12 and why is that it's a funny incident it was in my first standard and i was taking part in the school sports day in a 100 meter race and he tells me i don't remember it mm. he tells me that i was winning okay he was in the audience cheering me on and he waved at me and i stopped to <laughs> wave back at him oh man. and i lost the race <laughs> So and I I apparently laughed it off and he was like no you could have won that race what's wrong with you and I said no it's okay I I was leading so he he tells me this every now and then and he's like oh, that's why I, I don't want to come watch you perform. Oh man okay and I was acting in a play in 9th grade which is the last event he's watched me at and it was 3 days uh, it was three shows on three different days I was doing and it was a big production expensive i was in costume makeup mm. and everything you couldn't recognize me he didn't tell me which day he was coming on pasoda he didn't tell me and he sat somewhere at the back apparently and my parents my mum and my rest of my family were sitting in front but he didn't tell me which day he came on i still don't know which day he came on <laughs> so do you agree with his observation that in case he shows up at an event you will be losing focus and like getting all excited that dad is around I'll definitely want to prove a point <laughs> that may get me carried away. I uh, I definitely want to prove a point and say you know what all these years that you didn't come watch me was worth nothing. <laughs> so I'll do look at me watch me that's probably what I'll do and it might end up hampering my performance. Interesting. Okay. Could you tell us a little about your mom? So my mom is the the most cheerful person I've met. Like the energy, the vibrance that I give away now. Like my dad can come across as a cold person sometimes, mm. but the energy, the vibrance that I exude on stage comes from my mother. she's somebody who is hyper social she loves people mm. she loves hanging out with people all the time she's somebody who is very giving in nature speakers are giving in nature i think i've imbibed that quality from her mm. and she's my biggest cheerleader in, in fact even if i'm wearing the ugliest of clothes she'll tell me no you you're looking nice <laughs> so i can't take her judgment as a gold standard but she's always loving but she's always there she's always there as a rock Mm-hmm. as a supporter yeah that's my mother yeah all right you mentioned about books couple of times mm-hmm. uh, and you started reading lately can you mention couple of books that has been super influential in the way it has shaped your thinking habit formation atomic habits any day james clear james clear loved that book i'm planning to give that a reread there was my book my go to book about money has been an ancient classic obviously rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki i'm mm. obviously giving you popular book names now yeah, yeah. and maybe a third book okay 
Huh, this is a book I read recently. I, I wouldn't say it's top 3 books, but okay. it's a book I've read recently so it's fresh in my mind. It's about how much we have wrong about the world. Our perceptions about the world are so skewed. It's a book called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Hmm. Loved that book. There's a quiz at the beginning of the book, 13 questions, and it tests your knowledge about the world. Right. I got 4 of them and it was pathetic. I felt like, <laughs> "Oh, it's the worst performance ever." And turns out people answer even less. So I think it's an interesting book even I I've read the book and there is a graph at the end of the mm. book where it shows correct the different the matrix about income and countries and things like correct. that it's quite an interesting read in fact yeah. it talks about a lot of the things that we have wrong today on social media as mm. well everybody wants to belong to a tribe you're either left or you're right but sometimes the truth isn't black or white it's gray mm. Mm. so nuanced arguments are going amiss mm. and nuance is where the truth lies mm. and it's completely driven by the narrative of the media they want a certain narrative so they want to, it's like almost agenda driven true right? so uh, true it's it's also the fact that media is only doing their job and the and over the years media wasn't always this important mm. media wasn't our source of all, everything mm. but today it is mm. that's why the problems are right. arising is what hans rosling says and i agree with him okay A- any other book that has been instrumental in you said you you're re- reading something stoic i was yeah i just finished meditations by marcus aurelius it's his notes on life mm. marcus aurelius was a roman emperor and he lived most of his life through the plague so it's very relevant to the times we're <laughs> living in right now people wouldn't step out people wouldn't mingle a lot back then it, it was more of his personal journal mm. his thoughts before going into war mm. his thoughts about family his thoughts about marriage sex food the mind the body all of it you get a direct look into a roman emperor's mind mm. which is great all right rahul i think uh, i have covered most of the things i really wanted to ask you i was very nervous sitting before meeting you because the art of really articulating yourself mm. and asking questions also i feel very judged in the front of a professional like you so <laughs> no so glad that i had this conversation i really got some great insights on, on this whole topic and i think our uh, listeners will definitely have a lot of things to note down mm-hmm. practice any final thoughts that you have now first of all i would like to thank you for covering such a wide range of topics and was very comprehensive the kind of questions that you asked in fact in between we went off script many a times that shows that you actually got me thinking and it wasn't templated and ready made answers <laughs> a lot of the times i had to you know really rack my brain to answer those so thank you for that i think the one thing i, I want to tell uh, the people listening is that communication is not a soft skill our common perception is that it's a mm. soft skill mm. it's as solid as your hard sciences communication sometimes equals cold hard cash and think about an interview if you do not impress the interviewer you don't get the job right. so it your communication skills could be the make or break and uh, we're living in an era where all jobs are being automated and the jobs left behind are the ones that deal with changing minds it's everything mm. and it's equivalent to a superpower so embrace it mm. and there's no age barrier you can always pick it up so there's no plug at the end saying now is the time learn now attend my next workshop that's not going <laughs> to i just it's just an emphasis on the importance that it has in my life and everyone else's i completely agree i think that's a great point to close people definitely should not underestimate what honing the skill can really you know transform their life actually mm-hmm. you know yeah. opportunities really flow in when you really get good at 
your skills of communication. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where can people find uh, more about you? Where are you most active, and where can people see the <laughs> man behind the mic? I'm most active on Instagram and Twitter. You can reach out to me on both places, and yeah, on both places I have a link plugged in where you can find all of my other content. If you want to check out my website, you can head over to www.rahulkolle.com. If I have any workshops coming up, I usually update it there, so you can find me there. Yeah, awesome! Thank you, Rahul. It's been a blast. Thank you, Manoj. Loved every bit of it. Cool. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. All the key points discussed will be available in the show notes at uh, www.rareearth.com. That is R A R E E R T H dot com. Uh, yes, there is no A in that. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you really liked and enjoyed the show, please do give me your feedback, review, and rate it on iTunes or any listening app of your choice. Do subscribe and share with your friends. Thank you.